0: Welcome back blockheads to the Dungeon Master's block, the place where we talk about the Dungeon Master. The most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all other people at the table. I'm one of your hosts for this week's episode, Dungeon Master Ian, and I am joined by the illustrious... Dungeon Master Andrew and today we are talking about one of the goddesses of the Forgotten Realms which is one of Andrew's favorite settings and we're gonna be talking about Salune so if you are interested in that goddess at all this is the episode for you and it was voted on by the DMs block forum as the goddess that you all wanted to talk about but before we get into that Andrew we have a five-star iTunes review More like a five-star iTunes novel.
1: Indeed. (laughs) Our review comes from GM Yoshi, and the title is Best RPG Advice Podcast Out There, and this is five stars. I have been running RPGs for the last seven years, but since I sort of just fell into GMing with no one around to teach what running an RPG should look like, I made the most of my games like video game quests. You know the ones. Go get me 10 boar tusks, 5 spider eyes, and the fin off of that really big fish in the pond. Why you ask? Um, no time for questions, just go get them and I will give you XP. The games would only last a few months before someone would quit and we would start over with new characters on a new quest. After I started listening to the DMB, I realized how full an RPG world could be. I recommend this podcast to everyone who is looking at running any kind of RPG. Even though they lean more towards the fantasy genre, their wisdom is applicable to any system in any genre. They bring in the best guests and talk about the most insightful topics. Even if you are only playing an RPG, even if you are only playing in an RPG, you should listen because these guys are the best, and who knows, maybe someday you will try your hand at running a game. Thanks to DM Mitch, DM Chris, DM Neil aka Moniac), DM Ian, and DM Mainprize, my homebrew world of Nuatra is thriving and my players are all having a blast keep on dungeon mastering ps i have really enjoyed having Moniac play in my game on the gamers plane forum he is really awesome okay i am done now
0: <laughs> well thank you dm yoshi we really appreciate it we're glad that you have jumped in with both feet into making your world a bigger and broader place for your players and as fun as wow sort of quests can be sometimes i'm glad that you've taken the step into a more immersive environment for your players. Good on you, but Andrew? Now let's head to the meat.
1: I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Yeah. Why can't we have some meat?
0: So as Andrew and I said beforehand, we are going to be talking about the goddess Salune. And I believe Andrew that the forgotten realms, like I said earlier, is one of your favorite settings.
1: Oh yeah. To me, the forgotten realms is the quintessential fantasy setting. If you want to play a high fantasy game for me, I have always played in Faerun because it is my favorite world.
0: Yeah, and I, you and I right now are, are doing a play-by-post just between the two of us in set in Faerun, and it is a ton of fun. We're playing in Chult,
1: which is the jungle continent of lost mysteries, an intense heat for those of you who aren't familiar with the power <laughs> of, <laughs> of heatstroke. <laughs>
0: yes. So, we pitched an idea to the forums, you know, with the Divine Spotlight episodes like we always do. We pitched a couple of different gods, and the one that you picked, I had always thought was pronounced Saloon, you know, like a cowboy would walk into, and I feel like Andrew was the same way. And then we looked at the pronunciation key on, like, a wiki entry when we were doing our research, and apparently it said saloon So,
1: yeah. There yeah, there was a significant amount of shock, and I'm still adjusting to that at this point. Of... <laughs> realizing that I've been pronouncing her name wrong for the last 10 years of my life.
0: (laughs) Yes, well, hopefully this doesn't shatter too many people's illusions, and they'll still listen to this show afterward, after this episode, after we, you know, shatter their reality a little bit. But regardless, that's the goddess we're talking about today. Coming up next, we'll tell you how to actually pronounce Cthulhu. (laughs) (laughs) And that will probably break some people's brains too. (laughs) But with all these episodes, we like to get into the origins of the goddess, uh, the the deity that we're talking about, in this case, the goddess Salune. And we like to, you know, dig into where she specifically came from, where she has gone in the different iterations of D&D, and all that kind of stuff. Salune originally appeared in the Forgotten Realms campaign setting and was created by none other than the legendary Ed Greenwood and he made her as a homebrew goddess for his own campaign. He wanted a goddess that was the goddess of like stars and moons and that kind of thing, and that's what he decided to do. Rather than trying to convert a god, he made his own goddess. She first appeared in second edition and was written about in Dragon Magazine number 54, Down to Earth Divinity, in 1981, making her one of the older goddesses in the entire D and D setting, which I think is pretty cool.
1: So, Selune, according to the lore, came into existence actually at the very beginning of creation. She and her twin sister Shar were both created to have dominion. However, they did not get along well at all because, while well, Selune is a god of the goddess of the moon. Shar is a goddess of darkness, and the two pretty much began fighting almost immediately. And they ended up shaping Toral which, as we all know, contains Faerun, the continent. And so their struggles actually gave land to the
0: world itself. That's actually pretty sweet. You got these two titans wrestling and their struggle, at, you know, their, their sibling rivalry leads to the creation of continents and mountains. I know my fights with my brother never made land. But, you know, that's pretty cool. <laughs> her symbol, for those of you who are interested in that sort of thing, if you have, if you have a cleric or paladin of Salune, they would be wielding a, a symbol that had like a pair of feminine eyes with seven stars around it. And that would be sort of, that's sort of her go to icon, if you will. You know, for those of you who don't know, this is take two of this episode because we lost take one due to various hard drive issues. And I mentioned this in the, the first take of this particular episode. I always wondered what, what do feminine eyes look like if you could make them into a holy sigil? And I found out they're very Egyptian looking. So it's a, like a pair of Egyptian eyes with like seven stars above it. And that's when people see that, that is they, they know that to be the symbol of, of Salune.
1: Right? Are they just extra curly looking eyelashes? So the titles of Salune usually is she's known as the Moon Maiden and referred to collectively by the clergy as Our Lady of Silver as that is symbolic of the moon itself.
0: Yeah, and those were the only two titles that we could find. I mean, as she's very simple in terms of understanding her. There's not a lot there as far as titles and things like that go, which is nice. You know, simple is often better because it's easier to remember. And I think that that having, like, you know, title after title, like, you know, we a king in Game of Thrones has, like, 42 titles. It's just, I like Our Lady of Silver. I like The Moon Maiden. Those are... Easy to remember and easy to deal with, especially if you're a clergy of that particular goddess. Her aspect, now this is an interesting thing. Some of the gods and goddesses in the Forgotten Realms have what are called aspects. They don't interfere directly often in their god form in the world, because I think that would potentially break a lot of brains and kill a lot of people if they should ever do that. (laughs) <laughs> it, also,
1: it also creates a great vulnerability of being attacked by other nefarious gods who are wanting to steal their portfolio
0: yeah there you go so when when god and goddesses do want to hang around and pal around with mortals they take on what's called an aspect there's a lot of intricacies involved in, in the aspect and I, I don't want to go into that too much but her particular aspect is called sahanin moonbow sahanin moonbow is an elf And, you know, that led me at first to believe that Salune might be like a patron patron goddess of the elves, when in reality she's, you know, not worshipped just by elves at all. But when she comes down to Earth, she likes to, or when she comes down to Toril, she likes to hang around and pal around with the elves, which I think is pretty cool, because the elves revere moon and stars and, and things of that nature. They revere nature itself. And so it makes sense that if she were to come down and pal around with anyone, it would be the elves.
1: So, for power level, Salune has had a bit of a rough couple of decades of existence. The fact is, her sworn enemy, Shar, despises her. And Salune would prefer to outright battle against Shar one-on-one. Shar is far more cunning, being the goddess of darkness. She prefers to operate in the shadows, no pun intended, and take out salune's followers as a way to weaken salune so salune when she came into existence was a greater deity but she was unable to hold that power level knocking her down to uh, an intermediate deity due to the fact that she's consistently losing against shar so by fifth edition however she was able to then get back to the top and regain a significant portion of that power restoring her to a greater deity so she's in a bit more of a state of flux and some of the more powerful deities kind of going down and back up and then down again so
0: yeah she's never been really constant which you know ironically mirrors the state of the tides if she's the goddess of the moon ebbing and flowing and ebbing and flowing Uh, but yeah i like waxing and waning yep that that too and then you know i like the fact that as far as it gives the appearance that that five or that excuse me that wizards of the coast their gods are not always stable or perfect or anything. There are some gods that have like held one power level through their entire existence. And there are others like like Salune who have fluctuated quite a bit. As far as her portfolio goes, since we've been talking about power level, non-evil lycanthropes are her domain. Navigation, questers, like people who go on quests, stars and wanderers. Yeah, it's interesting to me that non-evil lycanthropes you know, I have this concept in my mind that lycanthropes are always evil just because of the nature of, of who or what they are. You know, pure hunger, the desire to feed, usually conjured up by a disease of some sort, that of an evil wizard or something like that. You know, I always have this idea in my mind that they're evil. Well, apparently, not all lycanthropes are evil. And if you are a non-evil lycanthrope, you are under the domain of Salune.
1: Yeah, and this is primarily because a non-evil lycanthrope would come to embrace that aspect of themselves and see that, well, the moon provides goodness, and so they would naturally be gravitating towards Salune, whose giftings can even assist them in staying in control of their uh, affliction.
0: Yeah, yeah, which totally totally makes sense. Navigation and questing, again, you're using the stars and sextants and things of that nature to measure the stars to get to where you need to go wanderers again also makes perfect sense because wanderers are on an adventure adventurers often going off into the distance and worshiping salune for good fortune in that regard again again stars make sense because yes i mean that's part of her holy symbol as well so
1: for her domains clerics who follow her often have access to arcana change and the moon formerly in previous editions she did have the ability to grant her followers chaos, good, moon, protection, travel, light, and stars.
0: Yeah, so you could in fact argue I think in 5e if you wanted to incorporate Salune as a part of or as a part of one of your as a part of your pantheon, you could include those other domains as well to give her some more flexibility. Uh, maybe not necessarily stepping on anybody else's toes, but you know, to give her that some of the echoes of her former power in terms of of domains because I don't see anything wrong with with her being in charge of travel or of light or of stars I mean those are all protection might be a little iffy but you know those other ones I could definitely see her see her handling with no problem If you wanted to use that for, you know, story or narrative or, you know, to give a different god for your players to follow. So just like every god or goddess out there in the world of D&D, she has her signature weapon. And often her clerics wield weapons that are styled after this. It's called the Rod of Four Moons. And if you're thinking like I was, that it's a staff or like a magic, you know, magic wand or something of that nature, it's not. It's actually a heavy mace. I don't know that they have... I I looked, I scoured the interwebs for a 5e version of this. I could not find it anywhere. So we're going to go back to the old 3.5 version to tell you sort of the things that it it did. Uh, The Rod of Four Moons is a plus 5 defending, disruption, holy, heavy mace. There's a lot of stuff in there, a lot of descriptors. But that's essentially what it did. What the defending portion of the weapon allowed you to do uh, was it would make a magic barrier in front of you, making it harder for people to hit the wielder. The disruption. So it, it's a damage property that would allow it to permanently destroy undead struck with this weapon. It uh, it had to successfully resist the enchantment, or it would be destroyed. There's a couple of different weapons, like Dawn Speaker, and a couple of other things that have that that same property. Holy again is a damage type. Uh, when she hit this thing, uh, it would do also holy damage to it in 5e that would be akin to to radiant damage and then it's a heavy mace which means it's a it's a one-handed weapon that is carved from you know metal or some other material Uh, you could make her mace whatever you want because it really doesn't specify what sort of metal it's made from but it is a wicked wicked rod
1: i'd like to imagine that it would be made out of meteorite
0: yes that is yes we'll go with that in some other source materials from my notes here, it's the Faiths and Avatars sourcebook. The Rod of Four Moons was an actual rod that the wielder could fight with and use as a as a mace. But it also included in it, it, it was a wand of paralyzation, a wand of polymorphing, a wand of lightning, a wand of security, and a rod of resurrection. So you have some of those same sorts of ideas. So that sounds very handy. Yes, yes it does. And you know, so that that's her that's her weapon. She's not going to let it out of her sight at all, I don't think, but you know, if if you wanted a player to or if a player wanted to worship Salune and have a rod, it would be along those sorts of lines. They would I would think go after some of those same sorts of enchantments in keeping in step and in line with their favorite goddess. Yeah, that rod sounds pretty epic actually. It's a even for 3.5, that seems a little overpowered.
1: I know I'd be tempted to steal it.
0: <laughs> I know I would be too. Maybe that's that. Maybe that's a story hook for you. An infamous rogue sneaks into the gates of the moon and steals her, her heavy mace.
1: Her superiors, she doesn't really have any that would be considered a traditional god or goddess, as we would know, in the Forgotten Realms setting. However, she is subject, of course, to Lord Ao. And Lord Ao, if, if, if you're not familiar with him, he is essentially the, like, the big over-deity who's responsible for the creation and assignment of all of domains and portfolios and whatnot. He's basically the guy in charge of everything. And uh, most people didn't even know he existed. Most gods didn't even know he existed until the Times of Trouble. Where he manifested and basically told all the gods, hey, I'm getting sick of your pettiness and your fighting and your bickering, so I'm going to banish you all into physical forms. You're all kicked out of your home planes, and now you're going to have to traverse the world as your regular selves, mortal selves, more or less. And this caused a lot of upheaval, a lot of domain theft even some ascension to godhood from regular mortals who were able to figure a way to get into the planes before other people could. That would be her immediate superior.
0: That's a little frightening. (laughs) I'm a god. You can't do anything to me. Oh, yes, I can. Boop. Now you're immortal. (laughs) A-mortal, not immortal. You're (laughs) a-mortal. Yeah. (laughs) It's terrifying. As far as a description of who or what Selune looks like, she's often depicted as a highborn lady with moons and stars In Elven Chainmail, again, going with that idea, she's not a a, a goddess within the Elven Pantheon, per se, uh, although she may be. She's worshipped by a lot of different people, but she favors the Elves mostly because, I think, of her alignment, which we uh, haven't talked about yet, which we will get to. But she's depicted as a highborn lady with moons and stars, an Elven Chainmail, wielding her rod of four moons. Uh, She has silver hair that mimics the... Uh, Moonlight, and then, you know, we've talked about her twin sister, Char, which we'll touch on a little bit at the end of the episode, because we can't really have a talk about Saluni without talking about Char in turn. Her alignment, as I said earlier, is chaotic good, which again, that chaos portion would fit really well with a moon goddess, and I think is why she fits in so well with the elves, because the elves are often chaotic in alignment, are always chaotic in alignment, depending on, on uh, how strict you are as a DM, but yeah, alignment, chaotic, good.
1: Another thing to note about uh, Sulune's appearance is that when she manifests an avatar uh, in the world, her avatar usually correlates to the phase that the moon currently is in. When the moon is at a crescent, she appears as a young girl. When the moon is full, she appears as a middle-aged woman. When the moon is waning, she appears as an elderly woman.
0: That's pretty cool. You could you can incorporate that in a lot of different ways if you were to bring Salune into your world as far as her appearance. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. So let's talk about Salune's worshippers.
1: Uh Sul- as a is a pr- primarily female dominated religion. There are a significant number of female uh, clerics and soul casters. Female or sorry, the women dominate the church hierarchy there. Good and neutral lycanthropes worship her. Uh, sailors are also people who would follow after her, which if you're unfamiliar, th- normally the goddess to appease on the seas is Umberly, but she's a very mm-hmm. evil goddess who usually threatens to destroy people who don't pay her homage. So the act of worshiping Salune in order to find a uh, safekeeping would It'd be an act of defiance against Umberly, but would give you a better chance of surviving if any, if you were to suddenly invoke Umberly's
0: wrath for other reasons. <laughs> Umberly is a very nasty goddess. Yeah.
1: She's actually one of my favorite goddesses. Like in, yeah. in Fairune. Cause like, anyway. <laughs> and as well as sailors and navigators, there is also a specific branch of monks known as the sun soul monks. Her clerics, primarily focus on eradicating evil lycanthropes. They are responsible for going out across the land and rooting out evil. Saluna gives them the power to find lycanthropes who are in disguise or hidden, as there are a great many evil ones that are using their giftings and powers for personal gain or destruction
0: of others. Yeah, so the other thing the sunso Monks are responsible for doing is finding the beings called Shards, uh, with a capital S, Shards are basically human embodiments of the different aspects of Salune, and they are her main way of combating Shar. So you know you might have a, a a human or an elf or somebody else. Who has been touched by Salune in some way, given power, given responsibility, and the Sunso monks are responsible for finding those individuals and protecting them while they discover their powers, while they discover, you know, those those sorts of ideas, while they come into power to help Salune combat Shar. The temples of Shar are pretty cool-looking. You know, they're often open-faced to the moon, uh, made to pick the, the phases of the moon and things of that nature, often gilded with stars and things of that nature. They are places also where people will go for fortune-telling, for healing, for prophecy, all those sorts of things as as well.
1: Another, yeah, another function of these temples, too, is to provide aid to the mentally ill or people who are losing their minds or as the phrase would be called, a lunatic. Yeah, there you go. Lunatic, yeah, luna. (laughs) Moon, yay! Made the connection. So there is a heresy within uh, the Church of Salune, and it is quite a scandalous one. These heretics, they call it the Dark Moon Heresy, and these heretics believe that Salune and Shar are actually just two different faces of the exact same god. Which means, essentially, that Shar doesn't exist, Salune doesn't exist. It's basically two halves of the same coin. Which, to equate Salune to being... This evil dark goddess, who's just bent on literally obliterating everything and returning just to absolute darkness, is is quite an insult. And so this this heresy, which which appears in the second Baldur's Gate, actually ends up kind of infiltrating a little bit of the church there.
0: Hmm. Now I know we can't really talk about Salune without talking about Shar because they're so closely connected. But without getting into too much detail, Shar is. Salune's twin sister, they're sort of opposite forces, and we've sort of mentioned some things about Shar. She likes to work from the shadows, Salune likes to confront directly. Salune wants to, to promote life and light, whereas Shar wants to death and destruction and darkness. Is there anything else we should know about Shar that would inform us about Salune? Shar often grants her
1: followers, clerics, the power of deception and control over illusion so that they may operate in the shadows. So while Salune's organization is dedicated to healing and working and saving the lives of others, the Church of Shar is pretty pretty uh, concerned with simply subterfuge and elimination of their foes. So a great many clerics of Shar will try to kill a Salune follower if they have the ability to.
0: Finally, what we'd like to do after we talked about this goddess, Salune, and in these episodes where we talk about the different deities, we like to talk about story hooks, potential story hooks that could involve this goddess if you want to bring her into your world. And the first thought in my mind, I, I just watched Despicable Me with my children, and I think it would be cool if somehow, some way, Char or somebody who works for Shar managed to steal the moon. And now you've got salune without her source of power without her source of of divinity you know you could either you could even have it like the gates of the moon is where sort of the 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 moon comes out of and goes into as it's you know night and day or whatever but you know the moon is stolen and now salune who is herself waning because her source of power is gone the adventurers are charged with recovering the moon And if you're wondering how you could steal a moon, I assume you just need a bag of
1: holding and a very special enlarged spell, and then you'd be good.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you could do, yeah, for sure. (laughs) Uh,
1: One plot hook that I can think of would be the Dark Moon heresy ends up cropping up, but much to everyone's surprise... The clerics who are claiming they worship, you know, this amalgamation of Shar and Salune are still having their spells granted. And they're going out and they're doing all of these mighty works in the name of this heresy. And the players are tasked by the temple to investigate why their spells are still working. And what you could do there is that have Shar be the one granting the spells to these clerics. Because she would find stealing worshippers away from Salune as hilarious... And so Shar would have more of a reason to keep this organization growing than Salune would. And so the players are tasked with rooting out this heresy, or at least trying to find out the legitimacy of it.
0: Yeah, I dig it. I dig it. So one final one for me is hearkening back to that time of troubles idea, where somehow, uh, whether it's Lord Ao or whether it's Shar has found a way through subterfuge and those sorts of things, to make Salune immortal. A mortal, not a mortal, but a mortal. And now she's cast down from her seat of power. Her clerics aren't getting their spells anymore. Lycanthropes are going crazy because there's no one to keep them in check. Uh, the moon is not going through its phases. All those sorts of things and it's the players' responsibility. They're charged again by the Church of Salune. To figure out what's going on, and lo and behold, they discover the goddess has been deposed. And now it's a race to try to restore Salune before anybody else can claim that that domain, those those that portfolio, those those worshippers, and trying to restore the goddess herself.
1: And you can add an additional level of fun to that by having at some point the players being approached by Shar and given a counteroffer saying, Hey, I'll set you guys up really great if you make sure this Salune character dies when you find her. <laughs>
0: moral dilemmas you gotta love it they're always a great thing to incorporate into these particular types of quests Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Dungeon Master's Block. We appreciate you listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode on Salune. I know we have had a great time rehashing this goddess and we hope to get this episode to you sans any hard drives dying again. Andrew, if the listeners would like to get in touch with us, how would they do that? Well, you can send us an email over at dungeonmasterblock
1: at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed the episode, which I hope you did, you can give us a review on iTunes. and. We could even end up reading your review on one of these episodes. If you want to give us a shout on Twitter, you can find us at at DMs
0: underscore block. And don't forget to like us on Facebook. Yeah, both of those places are great avenues to find out about upcoming episodes, memes, general d d goodness, and so much more. So this week we have a new Patreon member shout-out to give you, and this week's shout-out goes to... David! David, we thank you so much for your patronage, for supporting us. He has access to our Dragons Only forum, to our our monthly DMs workshops, a whole bunch of other uh, extra content like the storytime episodes for Mitch's current campaign, which I'm a player in, for the Spirit Charmer campaign. This podcast is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network. Check out other shows like... GM Showcase and Geek Wars we're so bad at adventuring and more thanks for listening to the Dungeon Master's Block the place
1: where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master the most important person in the game the only person capable of playing God
0: killing characters
1: and lowering the egos of all the people at the table this has been DM Andrew saying I'll see you later
0: this is DM Ian and 4DM Mitch keep on Dungeon Mastering Goodbye.